Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to Babel on Talmud. Today we're studying Daf Kuf Chaf Aleph of Masech the Shabbos, Daf 121. Uh, pretty interesting Daf today, friends. Pretty interesting Daf. Um, well, first we have to finish off from yesterday, just the conclusion of that Machlokas uh, between the Tanakam and Rabbi regarding uh, Grama when it comes to erasing the name of God when it is written upon your flesh and you're going to the mikvah. Uh, we just have to finish that up. That shouldn't take too long. Then we move on to a new Mishnah, and it's an interesting topic, the topic of Amira Lenochri. Um, what are you, you know, if, if uh, you would like to instruct a Gentile to do a Melacha for you on Shabbos, can you do it? Can you not do it? How can you do it? Interesting, right? Right. Okay, now, um, can children... We're going to talk a little bit about, can you, can you have children do malacha for you? Also interesting, right? Right. Um, so now, oh, and then we get onto a new Mishnah, and sort of the main, a large discussion from that Mishnah is going to be about, can you kill, like, dangerous little things, like scorpions, snakes, wasps? Can you do that? Friends, let's jump in. Daf Kufchaf Aleph Amud Aleph, three lines into the page. However, before we start with those three lines into the page, let us remember what we are talking about because we are smack in the middle of a little bit of a complex argument, but there just wasn't really a great place for me to stop otherwise yesterday because um, there was quite a bit of work to do for this first part today, even though we should be able to do it pretty quickly. Um, so, Remember, for now, at this point, we're basically discussing the machlogas between the Chachamim and Rabiosi when it comes to can a person go into a mikvah um, if he has the name of God written on his flesh. Now, the problem would be that to go to the mikvah, you have to take off all of your clothing. Now, you're also, it says, right, that you can't, and we learn from that that you cannot. Um, stand in front of the name of God naked. And if you have the name of God written on your flesh and you have to take off all of your clothing, well, Mimela, you'll be standing in front of the name of God naked. So the Chachamim's um, suggestion was, well, why don't you just cover the name of God with some kind of a reed? To which Shigmar says, yeah, that's a great idea. How come Rabbi says that you don't need that? Rabbi says, what do you mean? I think that's a great idea as well. If you have a reed, use it. The machlokas between the Chachamim and Rabbi though, is when you don't have a reed available to cover up the name of God. Um, so what do you do? According to the Chachamim, you go get one. Uh, but what if that means that then he? What if he doesn't find one for the rest of the day, and he's gonna and he's not and he's not gonna go to the mikvah today? He'll have to go to the mikvah tomorrow, and he'll miss out on tevila bismana, on doing going to the mikvah at its proper time. The Chachamim say, don't worry about tevila bismana, go find a reed. Uh, however, Rabbi says, no, go to the mikvah now and cover it up, you know, just cover up the name of God with your arm, uh, with your hand, and don't bother chasing after a reed, finding a reed, because um, what's more important is that you go to the mikvah on time, so just go to the mikvah now, cover the name of God with your hand, and that will be enough. So that is the latest in that machlokas, which is essentially... At this point, a machlokas between the Tanakam and Rabbi about do you need to go to the mikvah on time, bismana, or not? Rabbi says yes, the Chachamim say no. 
To which the Gemara asks on the third line of Daf Kufchof Aleph Amur Aleph, Visavar Rabbi Tvil Bizmana Mitzvah. Does Rabbi Yossi really hold that there is a mitzvah to go to the mikvah at its proper time on its proper day? Biatanya. We learn in a brisa, friends. This brisa is in the context of Yom Kippur about do you go to the mikvah on Yom Kippur? Um, so we actually had come up. This had actually come up the other day, right? About uh, we said, well, if you go to the mikvah on Shabbos, then you can go to the mikvah on Yom Kippur. Said, but this Mishnah or this Brisa is saying over here, So, um, a Zav and a Zava, so of course they need, they each need to have seven days without seeing any Ziva, and then on day seven they go to the mikvah. Also, right, on the seventh day of their purification process, they also go to the mikvah. Boel Nida, a man who sleeps with a Nida, so he becomes Tame for seven days. So on his day seven, Utme Mes, and also, of course, somebody who touched a dead body or was in an Oel Mes, whatever it is, he contracted Tumas Ames. So he also needs to go to the mikvah on day seven. So in all of these cases, if day seven is Yom Kippur, well, you can go to the mikvah on Yom Kippur. Nida violedes tvilasam balayla, and uh, a nida or a woman after she gives birth is this talking about two weeks after she gives birth, or or well, it depends on a boy or a girl, or is this talking about like the end of the forty or eighty days respectively? I suspect it's talking about the end of the week or two weeks. But I don't exactly remember. I think no, no, no. I think it's talking about the end of the week or the two weeks, meaning a week for a boy, two weeks for a girl. Um so they go to the mikvah at night, right? So if day seven was Erev Yom Kippur, so they would go to the mikvah that night on Yom Kippur. Okay. Balkari, what about a man who has seen sperm? Tovel v'holech kola yom kulo, he can go to the mikvah on Yom Kippur. Okay. Rabbi Yossi Omer, minaminchu l'mayla, or really, so there's a different case that says Whereas now listen up, friends. This is the main thing that Rabbi Yossi says. However, from Minchen on, a Balkari should not go to the to the mikvah. Remember, a Balkari. The reason why um, a Balkari needs to go to the mikvah, as we learned in Masech the Brachis, is for divrei Torah. And therefore, as long as he's not going to be learning Torah, so then he doesn't have to go to the mikvah. So, so, so what we're asking is, well, what if he's already daven Mincha on Yom Kippur? So really, he's not going to need to go to the, you know, the next, he's only, he's only going to have to go to the mikvah before the next time he, let's say, davens, which is going to be myriv. So Rabbi Yossi's suggestion is, look, there really isn't any need to go to the mikvah right now on Yom Kippur, because as long as he just goes to the mikvah before the next time he davens, that's fine. So therefore, so, so whereas the Tanakhama says, no, he can go to the mikvah at any point during the day, Rabbi Yossi says, look, if it's already after Mincha, I meaning if it's before Mincha, well, obviously he should go to the Mikvah because in order for him to be able to daven Mincha, he's going to have to go to the Mikvah, right? The assumption is that for davening also, you would have to go to the Mikvah. However, if it's after Mincha, so Biosi says, look, you know, there aren't really any prayers that he needs to mik- have been Mikvah already before those prayers, you know. He's, next thing coming up is Mariv. Rashi mentions Ne'ilah, but he says you can also do that at night, at least according to this opinion. So, according to Rabbi Yossi, he says, look, just wait until after Yom Kippur, go to the mikveh then. 
And then you could have Mayer. No, what about, what, 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 what about Tevila Bismana? What about going to the Mikvah time? We see Rabbi Yossi doesn't seem to be so concerned about making sure that he goes to the Mikvah on that day. So one second. On the one hand, friends, we're saying that Rabbi Yossi's opinion is that he doesn't go and find a reed to cover up the name of God when he goes to the mikvah, because it's more important that he goes to the mikvah on that day than that he finds a reed. However, when it comes to Yom Kippur, Rabbi Yossi seems to be saying that a Balkari should just wait till after Yom Kippur and just go to the mikvah before he davens Ma'ariv. What happened to Tefillah Bismana? What do we do? What do you guys think we do? We read on. Ha-hi! Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda, he, the Amr Daya Tefillah Bachron. That opinion regarding Yom Kippur that says just go to the mikveh after Yom Kippur, that's not Rabbi Yossi. That's Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda. I actually looked this up on Janine's chart. So apparently Rabbi Yossi, uh, apparently Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda Barilai, the Tana Rabbi Yehuda, had a son Rabbi Yossi. And this is him, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda. So he holds that um, you don't have to be so concerned about, about Tevila Bismana. And that's why he says that uh, you go to the mikveh uh, after Yom Kippur, before Mayrib. Um So he's actually this, the Amr Daya Tevila Bachrona, it's a Gemara in Nida. Uh, Rashi talks about it. It's actually a complicated Gemara. As Rashi was talking about it, I was remembering that Gemara, or remembering that it was complicated, not so much remembering how to understand it. Uh, that would be more complicated. But yeah, it was a whole complicated situation. Remember when we, remember on Daf Pei Vav, when, when we were trying to calculate, like the three, like Isha Poletes, Sheikh Vazera, and depending, is it six Onos, or, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. And I said that, like, Mesech Nida, that's like what's the, what's complicated about it is all these calculations about different possibilities. Um, so, so this was one of those. It was like one of these things of like, you know, a woman gave birth and she doesn't remember when she gave birth or what day it was. We have to calculate all the possibilities of when she might have to go to the mikvah because maybe she was also a zav, maybe she was Yoledes Bizov, maybe she was a zava and also a nida and then, oh no, but also Yoledes. It was like all these complicated, all these questions of like, for the, for the, for, for the ziva, she would go to the mikvah during the day, but for the, uh, for, for the Yoledish, you go to the mikveh at night, so maybe over the course of like three weeks, you would have to go to the mikveh every day and every night, all, all that, that, that whole cheshben. But over there, Rabbi Yosef says, no, don't worry about going to the mikveh every day and every night, rather die at Bachrona, just go to the mikveh at the end. So we see that he, you know, because the reason why she'd have to go to the mikveh every day and every night is because we have to make sure that just in case today is the end of her ziva, or tonight is the end of her Yoledish, we have to make sure that she goes to the mikveh because tefillah is man mitzvah. Rabbi Yosef says, look, just go to, go to the mikveh at the end when you know that for sure it's all over because tefillah bismana is not so important. Just make sure that you get to the mikveh once you're certain that you, um, you know, are, are done with whatever uh, context you're, you're, you're in. So, so Rabbi Yossi's opinion is that tefillah bismana mitzvah. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda's opinion is, is that tefillah bismana is not a mitzvah. Friends, we're moving on. Okay, now, if you have a Gentile who would like to put out a fire for you, your house is on fire, a Gentile comes and he's going to go put out your fire. Do you have to say, stop, let the house burn? Do you have to say that? So, ain omrim lo So, we don't say to him, Either one. On the one hand, we don't say to him, hey, my house is on fire, can you put it out for me? We don't say that. But at the same time, we also don't say, hey, stop, don't put out the fire, let it burn. 
We don't say that either, right? Whatever he does on his own volition is 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 fine. Because it's not my responsibility to make sure that he keeps Shabbos. After all, he doesn't have to keep Shabbos. So, so we don't tell him, please extinguish for me. But at the same time, we also don't stop him if he extinguishes on his own. What about a minor, meaning a Jewish child? Who wants to extinguish a fire? We don't listen to him. Which is an interesting way of saying it. I, I mean, if I understand the way I understand it, it means we don't let him. Because it is our responsibility to make sure that he keeps Shabbos, that this little guy keeps Shabbos. Even though he doesn't have a chiv to keep Shabbos, but it's nonetheless our responsibility to make sure that he keeps Shabbos. And the Gemara is going to um, understand this a little bit better. Okay? Omar Reb Ami says the Gemara that Reb Ami says, Bidleka itiru lomar. If there is a fire, somebody's house is burning down, they did allow a person to say, If anybody puts out this fire, then he's not going to lose out. And I'm getting the feeling that what this means is that like, you can kind of, you know, kind of like alluding at the fact that there might be some financial gain for you. Meaning, um, oh wow. Sounds like maybe the neighbor's windows, they, 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 they put some coconut oil on, on, on the windows. Uh, to, to quiet them down. And it worked for a while, right? Uh, it's been a few months, I think. Oh gosh, have I really been in this place for a few months? Oh, I gotta get out of here. So, you know, some guy I saw when I woke up this morning, another friend of mine sent me a message to see if I'm in Israel, which I am. I'm wondering if maybe his apartment sublet is available. Maybe, maybe I'll do that. And then, um, and then just to switch things up a little bit. But, Guys, don't, 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 don't tell my friend Jeff that I said this, because I don't want him to think that I'm looking to, to ditch him, alright? This is gonna be our little secret, okay? Don't tell Jeff, alright? Appreciate that. Um, anyways, what does it have to do with the Gemara? It doesn't. It has to do with my neighbors and their windows. Amr Abiyami, says Abiyami, Bidleka Itiru. So, right, exactly. Ah, exactly. So it sounds like, um, basically, it, it sounds to me like you can kind of imply a financial gain, right? And we're not, obviously we're not talking about Jews. So meaning, if you have um, a, a Yid and his house is burning down and there is a Gentile standing next to him, it sounds like you would be able to say, like, you know, by the way, you know, if, if, if somebody wants to put out this fire, well, they won't lose. And I think the implication, meaning that like, you know, there's a good chance that uh, I'll pay you, uh, I'll pay you uh, out of appreciation for helping me out. Um, fine. So, 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 if, so if somebody's house is burning, so Itiru Lomar, they permitted him to say, that somebody who extinguishes is not going to lose out. So, so let's say that we can bring a support for Abi Ami from our Mishnah. How come? Because our Mishnah says, Nachri so let's say that our Mishnah supports Rabbi Ami because our, our Mishnah says if a Gentile comes to put out the fire that's burning in a Jew's house in so we don't tell him hey please put out the fire but at the same time we don't say to him don't put out the fire we just let things happen because it's not our responsibility to make sure that he keeps Shabbos since he's not Jewish. 
So now the Gemara wants here. Now here's the implication. Here's the diuk. So we don't tell him explicitly extinguish the flame. Yeah, that we don't do. However, but you would be allowed to say the following, which is, hey, if you put out this fire, you won't lose out. So I'm not telling him to extinguish, but I am sort of implying that, um, you know, if he wants to go for it, he can go for it. But the Gemara says, however, aim a safe up, but that's not really a good proof, because if I read the very next part of the Mishnah, that at the same, at the same time, we don't have to tell him, don't put it out, right? Meaning, if he's going to put out the fire, we don't have to stop him, but at the same time, you know, we also are unable to say, um, you know, to hint to him, like, hey, if you put it out, we won't stop you. No, I mean, if he does it on his own, we don't have to stop him, but we, we wouldn't be able to say anything, right? So, from the ratio, it says, on the one hand, it says, you know, we don't say to him, extinguish it, which implies that, but maybe we could say to him, like, by the way, if you go to do it, you won't lose out. But on the other hand, from the Sefer, which says that if he does it on his own, we don't stop him, but that implies, but you would not, though, be able to say, you know, hey, by the, you know, to hint to him in such a way. So, 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 so rather from our Mishnah, you can't actually, you know, learn out something for Rabbi Ami's position because from the Reisha, it would imply that it would be a support for Rabbi Ami, but from the Seifa, um, it would not be a support from Rabbi Ami. So therefore, you can't really use it as a uh, support for him. The Rabbis taught, There was a story where a fire broke out in the courtyard of Yosef ben Simai, and he lived in Shechem, which is interesting because Shechem came up um, yesterday as well, which was this place where they made these um, um, earthenware pots that were very, these uh, earthenware um, vessels that were very strong. Anyway, so this Yosef ben Simai, he was the treasurer of the king. Very cool. So, so there was a story that a fire um, broke out in the courtyard of Yosef and Simai, Bishikhin, Uvo Anche Gistera, and then the people who work for the king, the, uh, yeah, like these, uh, people, these representatives of the king came, Anche Gistera, Shal Tsipori, from Tsipori, Lechabos, to put out the fire for him, Mipnei Sha'apatrapas Shomelechai, because Yosef ben Simai was the treasurer for the king, so sort of the representatives of the king came to help him out and put out the, his fire. But he didn't let them. Because it was Shabbos. And a miracle happened. And it rained. And they put out the fire. And then he gave each of those people who came to put out the fire two slayings. And the lieutenant that was there, the leader of them, he gave 50. Wow, he got 25 times as much as everybody else. Wow, it's good to be the Farkus. Now when the Chacham heard what happened, what happened? Basically, there was a Yid who had a fire in his courtyard. Uh, Gentiles came to put it out and he stopped them. So Amru, they said, And, you know, Yosef ben Simai did not need to stop them. Because we learned that if a Gentile comes 
to extinguish a fire, we do not instruct him either way. We don't instruct, instruct him to put out the fire. We also don't instruct him to stop put out, putting out the fire. We can allow them to uh, do what they want to, uh, to, to extinguish the fire. So therefore, Yosef and Simai did not need to stop them, but thank God everything worked out with the rain. Aval, so the Mishnah had said, however, a, um, a, a child, if he wants to extinguish a fire, we do not let him. Because, is, because it is our responsibility to make sure that at least that we need to be teaching him about Shabbos so we cannot allow him to um, put out the fire for us. Shmas minas, as the Gemara, this, this, we can learn from this. That this is a sugi, there's a kashav. If you have a child who is eating non-kosher food, do we, does Bezdin, do we have, as a community, have a responsibility to stop him? Or do we say, he's a little kid, he doesn't have a chiyuv, you know, he's not chayv for anything. So, let, you know, he can eat whatever he wants. We don't have any responsibility to stop him. Well, from the fact that we're saying that we are not allowed to, that, we're, that we cannot allow a child to extinguish a fire on Shabbos, it sounds like, well, we do have a, as a community have a responsibility to make sure that even children are, are, you know, are keeping Shabbos, um, keeping kosher, things like that. So, Shmasmina, so we learn from here, if you have a child who's eating, uh, non-kosher food, right, not, non-kosher meat, Bezdin Mitsuvin Olav Lafrisho, so Bezdin has a chiyuv, to, you know, uh, take him away, to stop him from eating that meat. Just like we see over here, that we have responsibility to um, not allow the child to extinguish a fire. Um, Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan says, no, this is not a proof. How come? This is talking about when we say over here that a child, that we are not allowed, that we are, that we cannot allow a child to extinguish the fire. That is, because you know why the child's doing it? It's because the child's doing it because he realizes it's the right thing to do. He realizes that his father wants him to extinguish this fire. So because he's doing it, Ladas Aviv, because he's doing it only because this is what his father wants him to do. His father wants him to put out the fire. And that's why he's doing it, so we can't allow him to do it if it's, you know, Ladas Aviv for, for, for the, for the desire for, 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 for what his father wants. However, if it would just be on his own, if he just sees a fire and he puts it out, we, we wouldn't have to stop him from putting it out. Okay, but one second. So we said in our Mishnah that a Gentile, we would not have to stop from extinguishing a fire, but a, a Jewish child, we would have to stop. And we're saying that that is talking about when the, when the Jewish child is doing it because he knows that that is what the father wants. Well, does that imply that if a non-Jew is only extinguishing the fire because he knows that that's what the Jew wants him to be doing is to extinguish the fire, in that case, the non-Jew would be allowed to do that even though he knows that that's what the Jew wants him to do? But then, would that be allowed for a non-Jew to extinguish a fire for, 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 for a Jew? Um, even when he knows that he's doing it at, in the interest of the Jew? So my answer is, not really dieted the nafshe of it. No, the, the, the non-Jew, when he extinguishes the fire, even though he's, he's doing it for, for this Jewish person to help him out, nonetheless, the nafshe of it, we still consider it as though 
this non-Jewish person is doing it for his own benefit. How come? What's his own benefit? So says Rashi, the last Rashi before the Mishnah, even if he knows that, you know, obviously it's going to be benefiting the Jew, right? The Jew's house is burning down. He's saving the day for this Jew. But he's still doing it for his own, in whatever sense we consider it, that he's doing it for his own interest because he knows Shiloyafsid. That he's not going to lose out, right? Um, and I assume what that means is that he knows that the Jewish person, you know, he's going to repay him for saving his house for him. Um, so, you know, even if on the on the surface of things, that's not why the non-Jew is non-Jew is saying that, but because is doing that. I mean, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But because that there is a factor here, which is that the Jew is probably going to, um, you know, repay him for his kindness. So therefore, we can consider it as though. The non-Jew is acting out of his own volition, and therefore, um, when he goes to put out the fire, it would be acceptable. However, a child is only doing it, you know, this child doesn't know about getting paid back and things like that. He's doing it because he wants to help out his father, and, and, and therefore, that is why we prevent him from doing so. Interesting. Very, very interesting. And that is why uh, I wanted to say earlier that Kielu, when Rabbi Ami says, that um anybody who puts out a fire is not going to lose out. I think what it means is that like you know he'll get paid back financially uh, or in some way and and that would nonetheless be acceptable says or that's probably why it would be acceptable. okay, it says the Mishnah Kofin Kaira Bakora so the Mishnah says that you would be allowed to take some kind of earthenware like bowl or something and cover a candle with it so that the flame from the candle should not uh, catch on the beam that is above the candle okay and you can cover up the excrement of a little kid and you can cover up a scorpion so that the scorpion doesn't bite you wow so Behuda says that there was a story with Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai in Arev, in a place called Arev, ve'omar choshishani lo mechatos. Basically what happened in that story was that there was a scorpion and a person, Pashit, killed a scorpion. Oh no, Rashi doesn't say killed, he says that he, he, he didn't kill it, he overturned a Kleon scorpion. So meaning it's basically trapping. So basically what happened was there was a story with Rabbi Yochanan Zakai, and there was a fellow, now this scorpion wasn't chasing after him to kill him. Because if he wasn't, that's Bikuach Nefesh. Okay, keep that in mind throughout this Gemara, right? In, in the event that the scorpion is chasing after him to kill him, he would be allowed to kill the scorpion because that is Bikuach Nefesh. We were talking about a situation where there was a scorpion, sure, but he wasn't necessarily, there was no indication that he was going to harm this fellow, and this fellow nonetheless took a kli and overturned it to trap the scorpion. So Rabbi uh, Yochanan ben Zakkai said, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai said, lo I suspect that this fellow might be chayv a korban chatas. Now, was Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai around during the time of the Beis HaMikdash? The Maishah's answer is yes. He was around right at the end over there, right? There's a story in Masech Gittin over there that we learn on Tishabav about the story with Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai when he um, met, 
Who did he meet over there? It wasn't Titus. I think it was... Um, I don't remember. It was that guy who then became the Caesar. That was that whole story. Anyways, so um, so he was like right around during the siege of the of the, of the base of Mikdash. Yeah. What was that guy's name? Anybody know his name? Uh, it wasn't Titus. Titus came and he like did some bad stuff. But there was uh, Vespasian. I think As- Vas- Aspianus or something. Vespianus Caesar or something. Let's just say that because um, that way I won't be thinking about it. But also, I think it's in the Gemara on in Gitten on Daf like Nun Zayna or something, or Nun Vav or neither one. Let's go on. It says the Gemara: Rav Yehuda, Rav Yirmiya Bar Abba, Rav Chanan Bar Rava, Iglu Levei, Oven Deminishikya. Okay. So I don't know who this Rav, Ye- Rav Yehuda is. I don't think that this Rav Yehuda is Rav Yehuda. I really don't think that this Rav Yehuda is, is like Rav Yehuda, who is the student of Rav and Shmuel. I mean, I don't think he'd be, I, I don't know. You, he's, he hangs out with Rav Huna. He hangs out with Rav Nachman. Who's Rav Yirmiya Bar Abba? Rav Hanan Bar Rava? What was it? The son of Rava? I mean, Rava, Rav Yehuda. It doesn't. I, I don't think so. But maybe. I, I, I just assume it's a different Rav Yehuda. Anyways, Rav Yehuda, Rav Yirmiya Bar Abba, Rav Hanan Bar Rava, Iglu Levei, Rabbi Levei, Oven Deminishikya. Okay, so Rav Yehuda, Rav Yirmiya Bar Abba, and Rav Hanan Bar Rava visited, Rav, uh, to, so they visited the house of Oven Deminishikya. Fine. Now, Rav Yehuda, Rav Yirmiya Bar Abba, Aisu Lehu Poryusa. So for Rav Yehuda and for Rav Yirmiya Bar Abba, they brought out Beds for them to sit on. However, the Avchanan bar Rava lo aisule, but they did not bring a bed for Avchanan bar Rava, and he was very insulted and he was very upset. Ashkechei masnile livre, and Avchanan bar Rava, who didn't get a bed to sit on, found oven deminishika, and he was learning with his son. and he was teaching from our Mishnah. That you can cover up the excrement of a child with a some kind of earthenware vessel, so that the child doesn't play with the excrement. Okay. Amrle oven shatya masni shtusa So to which Rav Chanan by Rav responded, "Oven the idiot is teaching idi- idiocy to his child." And we right and 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 Rav Hanan by Rav he says, why would you why why would you be teaching your son that you can take a earthenware vessel and cover the excrement? Why don't you just take the excrement out of the house and get rid of it? After all, it's not muktza. Muchenes leklavim. It's 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 it, it. You know you you can give it to the dogs to eat. Yuck. Maybe you'll say that this excrement is nolad, right? It wasn't there yesterday, it was only there from today. So it wasn't there before Shabbos. So therefore it's nolad, and therefore it's muktza, and therefore I can't give it to the dogs. But that's not true. If you have a river that is flowing, or if you have a uh, spring that is, I don't know, what's the difference between Moshech and Novea? I don't know, also kind of moving. 
Okay? So in terms of um, um, Tchum Shabbos, right? Meaning, of course, on Shabbos, for something, you know, I, 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 um, I can only move things, I, uh, or I can only walk 2,000 amos. But now if you have, so let's say I'm hanging out by a river on Shabbos. And I go and I take some water from the river. Now that water has been on the move since the beginning of Shabbos. Who knows how far it was, how far away it was when Shabbos started. Likely it was further away than 2,000 Amos. It was outside of the Tchum Shabbos. And nonetheless, we say that it's not Muktzah. That I could take water from the river, even though this water is coming from more than 2,000 Amos away. I could take the water from the river and I can... You know, and, and I can interact with it. I can use it. It can go wherever I go. Right? They're like the legs of any person. Meaning, any person can go as far as he can walk with it. As far as he's allowed to walk with it, he can take these waters. Meaning, these waters are not muksa. Why? Because it's expected. It's expected that these waters are coming. Therefore, it's expected that there's going to be excrement from this child. And therefore, even though, sure, it wasn't on the floor from yesterday, only got there today, but nonetheless, you would be able to feed it to the dogs. So why are you teaching your son that you take a vessel and you cover the excrement so that the child won't play with it? Why don't you just teach him that you can just take it outside and feed it to the dogs? So then, oven um, de he said, well then, how should I teach this Mishnah? So, Rav Chanan Barava suggested, Ema al shel Rather teach that you can cover up the excrement of chickens so that the child won't play with the excrement of the chickens. And because the excrement of the chickens is will not be eaten by the dogs, so therefore um, it's mukta and you don't want the child to play with it, so you cover it up. Yuck. Sorry, friends. I know this isn't necessarily. Uh, uh, let's go weiter. Okay. So, so fine, great, very good. But now the Gemara Sakasha on Rav Chanan by Rav Davi But one second, even according to Rav Chanan by Rav's uh, explanation of the Mishnah, that it's talking about covering up uh, 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 chicken excrement. Well. What about graf shorei, right? We know that you're allowed to take out garbage from your house because it's a bedpan. It's a graf shorei. That it's disgusting because it's maus. It's maus, I guess. So therefore, or maybe this is maus. This is probably maus. Um, anyways, so, so it's a graf shorei. You should be allowed to, So why can't you take this chicken excrement out of your house? in and if maybe you'll say, no, come on, you can't say it is a graf shorei. Graf shorei is basically a vessel, a kli, that has excrement in it. And you can take out, and you can't take out the, you're not taking it out because of the excrement. That's not why you're allowed to take it out. You're allowed to take it out because of the kli. But over here, this excrement is just on the floor, and therefore you can't take the excrement out. So it's not like a graf shorei. But don't say that. Of Ashi, but there was a certain um, mouse that was found in the spices of Rav Ashi. Ve'amrlu, and he said to them, "Nikotu bitzutzise, take it out by its tail." Ve'afkua. 
take it by its, by, by its tail and take it out. So we see that there was a mouse and the mouse wasn't in a vessel or anything and they just picked up the mouse and took it out. So here also, you should be able to just take out, and the assumption is, I guess, because of Graf Shorei, that this mouse wasn't something that you want over there. So, so, um, new, so you should be able to take out this chicken excrement because it's Graf Shorei. How come you're only just, um, covering it? So the more answers, Ba'ashba, well, it's because it's not in your house. It's in the garbage. It's in the garbage dump. Because it's in the garbage dump, so that is why it's not a Graf Shorei. Graf Shorei is, is taking something disgusting out of your house. But here this is at the garbage dump. So you're just covering it so that the kids don't play with it. But what's a child doing in a garbage dump? So the Gemara answer is B'chatzer. No, it's talking about where, where, where it's in your chatzer. It's in your courtyard. Because it's in your courtyard, that's why the child might play with it. But But then if it's in your chatzer, in your courtyard, then why don't we just go back to the, the graf shorei thing and just say, well, you get, it, get it out of your courtyard. So No, we're talking about uh, a garbage heap that's in your um, courtyard. And because it's in your courtyard, the kids might play with it. However, it's not a graf shorei because it's in the uh, garbage heap area. All right. Uh, very good. Okay. And the Mishnah said, You can cover up a uh, scorpion said it doesn't bite you. Says Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi that anything damaging, like a scorpion or anything like that, a snake, right? These things that are dangerous, you can kill them on Shabbos. And the assumption right now is that it's talking about um, even if it's not chasing after you, even if it's not an immediate threat, you can nonetheless kill these things on Shabbos. Most of Rabbi Yosef. Rabbi Yosef asks a question. One second, we have a b'risa that says, Chamisha Neragin b'Shabbos. There are only five things that can be killed on Shabbos. Ve'eluen, and these are them. Zvuv Shabbat Mitzrayim, an Egyptian fly, okay. V'tzira Shabbat Ninveh, some kind of a wasp from Ninveh. Ve'akov Shabbat okay, some kind of a scorpion from Chadyov. V'nacha Shabbat Yisrael, an Israeli snake. V'chelev shotu b'chamakom and a, um, I don't know, a foolish dog in any place. And then the Gemara continues, money. And who could possibly be the author of this b'risa? Ilema Rabbi Yehuda, ha'amr melacha shenetzuich elgufa chayvaleh. Well, meaning, again, it's not talking about where these things are chasing you. If these things are chasing you, it's b'kuach nefesh and you can kill it. It's talking about where these things aren't chasing you. So now, if you kill this thing when it's not chasing you, so it's melacha shenetzuich elgufa mistama. Right? You're doing a malacha, which is natilas neshama, but you're not doing it because you gain anything directly from, from killing this thing. You're doing it so that it, it won't potentially hurt you. So it's a Now, according to Rabbi Yehuda, you're So Rabbi Yehuda would not say, you know, according to Rabbi Yehuda, you would not be able to kill any of these things that we just listed um, if it's not an imminent threat. Elalav, Reb Shimon. Rather, it must be Reb Shimon, who says, Amalach Hashem Nitzuri Chilagufa is potter, and we're saying that in these five examples, you would be, um, it, it, it would be acceptable. So, Bahani Udashari, Achrine Lo, and we're saying that these five examples, you would be allowed to kill, but no more. So, how could Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi say that? You can kill all of the mazikin when we seem to have a brysa 
that's saying that there's five mazikin that you can kill and no more. Amrib Yirmiyas. Now, Rabbi Yirmiyas says something very interesting. So Rebiyumiya says, one second, I've never heard this brysa before. This brysa is not one of the brysas that were, you know, taught by, by Rabbi Chia and Rabbi Oshaya who compiled the Tosefta, which is very interesting. So, so, so Rabbi Chia and Rabbi Oshaya compiled the Tosefta. And Rashi says, in the Rashi, in the Debra Masru Uman Leymalan, three lines into the Debra, into the Rashi, V'chomasnisa d'lo mesnaya b'tosefta d'rabchia v'raboshaya ika l'sapuke v'mashbeshta v'lo mosvinan mina. That any b'risa that is not included in the Tosefta, in the compilation of Rabchia and Raboshaya, we have to be dubious if we could rely on it or not, which is interesting. You know, because certain of the prices that we quote in the Gemara are come from Toseftas, but certain aren't. So, like, what are those other ones? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But in any event, Rabbi Yirmiya is saying, look, I can't find this brisa that Rabbi Yosef is quoting about these five things that you can kill. I haven't found that in the um, compilations of Rabbi Chia and Rabbi Oshaya. So how do we know that we can actually trust this thing? Maybe this, maybe this, um, Brisa is, 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 is inaccurate. And maybe we can trust Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi and say that actually you can kill any of these dangerous, um, you know, things on Shabbos. Um, Rav Yosef, so it says Rav Yosef, who of course quoted the Brisa, Onamasnina la I taught it and I can vouch for the authenticity of this b'risa. Be'osivnala, and I'm the one who asked this question on Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. Be'anamitaritznala, and I'm also going to answer this question on Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. When Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi says that you're allowed to kill any of these things that can kill you on Shabbos, that's when it's chasing after you and it's bikuach nefesh and everybody, both Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon, everyone agrees that you would be allowed to kill this, um, you know, little guy, if it's chasing after you to kill you. Fine. Okay. But if it's not chasing after you to kill you, it sounds like there's only those five examples that Rav Yosef quoted that you would be allowed to kill if it's not chasing you. Tani Tana Kami Durava Bar Rav Huna. A certain teacher of Bryce's taught in front of Rava Bar Rav Huna. Okay, so this teacher claimed that somebody who kills snakes and scorpions on Shabbos, the spirit of the Hasidim um, is not, uh, it's not within the spirit of the Hasidim. It's not a, a, a great thing to do. You know, it's not an ideal activity to do to kill um, snakes and scorpions on Shabbos. Okay. So now listen to what Rav Barafuna responds to this teacher. Omerle, so Barafuna says to him, Ve'osan chasidim, and these chasidim, ein ruach chachamim no chameyem. Well, the spirit of the wise people <laughs> is not among them. 
Meaning this teacher is saying, you know what? Anybody who, 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 who kills snakes and scorpions on Shabbos, you know, he's not a chassid. He's not, uh, you know, on the, uh, on the highest level. To which uh, Ravuna responds, these people who seem to be on the highest level are not necessarily the most intelligent people because these are dangerous creatures and you can kill them. And they can kill you and therefore you can kill them. Now, Ufliga de Ravuna, now Ravabai Ravuna argues on his father, Ravuna de Ravuna, Chazila Ugava de Kakatel Zibura. Ravuna saw a certain fellow who was killing a bee on Shabbos. Omale Shlimtinu Lechulu, new little guy, have you killed all of them? What? So you just killed one bee? What does that do for you? Right? What are you wasting your time killing one bee? There's still a thousand other bees, a million, a trillion other bees that can still kill you. So what are you wasting your time for? So uh, he seems to be saying that, so Rafuna seems to be saying that you can't just kill these things on Shabbos. Um, okay. But remember, if they're chasing after you to kill you, so then that's a different story. Tanu Rabban and the rabbis taught, If there were a whole bunch of snakes and scorpions next to him on Shabbos, sounds pretty um, unnerving. Hargon, so if you then kill all these snakes and scorpions, well then you can assume retroactively that all of these snakes and scorpions were there because they wanted to kill him. So it's a good thing that you killed them. Lohargan, if you didn't kill them, well then well then you can still assume, I'm sorry, one second, one second, I'm sorry, no, 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 I, I messed that up, I messed that up. Rewind, start over. If there are a whole bunch of snakes and scorpions around them on Shabbos. Horgon, if you killed all them, So if you kill all these snakes and scorpions, you can assume that you did what you were supposed to do. All these snakes and scorpions were there so that you can kill them because in the future they were going to kill and, and damage other people. So they, Hashem gathered them there for you to kill them. And as Rashi says, if I could find it, That vigilgulus chus aide zakai, right? Right, there's a concept of megalgulins chus aide zakai, and I think it's then vichiyuv aide chayev or something like that, that we give the merit of good deeds to people who deserve to have the merit of good deeds. So therefore, if all these snakes and scorpions were surrounding him on Shabbos and he killed all of them, so it's, uh, God wanted to give him the zchus of saving lives that would have been damaged in the future by these, by these, um, reptiles, I guess. Lo horgan, but what if he didn't kill all of them and he left them? So biadush and damnu lo hargo. Well, then he can assume that God had really sent them there to kill him. But a miracle had happened. Okay. Amar ula. Now this is important. Amar ula v'itemer rabbar barchana amar biyochnan b'nishofenbo. Now when we talk about killing these snakes and we say that you know kol akavod pat on the back, right? Megaglins chusa edechayev. That is only if they're hissing at him. And I think the point being that they were going to kill him. Right, so because they were going to kill him, so therefore he's allowed to kill them. It was because pikuach nefesh. But if they were just hanging out, well, I have to, you know, it's certainly not clear that you'd be able to kill them. Interesting. Rabbi Abba bar Kahana says Rabbi Abba bar Kahana pam achas nafal echad bebeis hamedrash. One time, I don't know, I guess like a scorpion fell into the beis hamedrash. The Ahmad nivasi echad and one Nabatean got up, the hargo, and terminated. Um, this this scorpion. Amar Rebbe, Pogabo Kayotsebo. So Rebbe said this sort of um, esoteric statement of 
I guess, this scorpion was stricken by somebody who is like it. So now the Gemara says, What is Rebbe saying when he says that this scorpion got stricken by somebody like it? Is somebody like it, Kilu, a bad thing? That like, you know, he deserves to be killed just like this scorpion was killed? Or does it mean that, um, that Pagabokayotsubo, that he basically, um, he, he killed this scorpion because if he wouldn't have killed the scorpion, one of the scorpion would have killed him. Well, so let's try to figure out. Did he do a good thing by killing the scorpion or not? Tashma, come in here. So Rabbi Abba, the son of Rabbi Chiyabar Abba, and Rabbi Zera were on the porch of Rabbi Yanai. Sounds fun. So now this, um, this, um, you know, thing came out from among them. They had a question and they went and they asked, Can you kill snakes and scorpions on Shabbos? Even if they're not, you know, obviously if they're attacking you, you can kill them. But even if they're not attacking you. He says, I kill wasps. Obviously then, you can kill snakes and scorpions. So this would sound like, according to Abiyanai, yeah, you can kill snakes and scorpions even if it's not, you know, a, a mortal danger. So, but the Gemara says, well, dilma No, maybe when Rabbi says you can kill them, it doesn't mean that you can actually just find snakes and scorpions to kill, or if you see them and they're not bothering you, you can just kill them. Maybe it just means that if you're walking down the path and you see a snake or a scorpion, do you have to davka get, you know, go around them so that you don't kill them? He's saying, no, you don't have to go out of your way not to kill them on Shabbos since they, you know, they have the potential to be deadly. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you'd be, you'd be allowed to go out of your way to kill them. Dumb Rav says, Rav rogue doors to the fitumo. That if there's spit on the ground, you could step on it on Shabbos, even though, you know, it might come to somehow uh, fill in like a hole in the ground. It's okay. You know, if it's just while you're walking, it's fine. V'amr of Sheshes, nachaz doors to the fitumo. Says of Sheshes, a snake, you can, you know, you can just, you don't have to go out of your way to go around it. You could step on it. Although, I suspect if it was me, I probably would go out of my way, um, to go around it, but not because I'm, uh, you know, such a, uh, gentle soul. Actually, perhaps I might even walk the other way. Velma of Katina, instead of Katina, Akrav, Dorso de Fitumo. If you have a scorpion, so also you can just kind of keep on walking, and if you step on it, you step on it. Abba bar Marta, Dava Abba bar Minyomi, Ava Maskebe, Dverish Gulusa, Zuze, Oiva Avoy. So Abba bar Marta, who's also known as Abba bar Minyomi, he owed money to the Reish Gulusa. That does not sound good. I see They brought him in and they were giving him a rough time. Have a Shdi Roka. Now, there was, um, whatever, there was some spit on the floor. So the Reish Gulusa suggested, bring a vessel and cover up this spit because it was Shabbos. So they couldn't, you know, uh, rub it out, but just cover it up. Amrlu, so um, this Abba Bar Minyomi said to them, You don't need to get a kli. Rav Yudah said that you can just kind of rub out spit with your foot, um, you know, while you're walking and it's fine. You don't have to worry about anybody, you know, uh, uh, covering, you know, filling in holes or anything. 
Amalu Tzorbamerabanu Shavku, to which Reish Galusa said, Ah, I understand. Clearly you are a Torah scholar. All right. Friends, let's leave him alone. All right, everybody. That was the 121. It was cool, right? Right. So, so says the, so we started, so basically we had like two interesting, in my opinion at least, but I know that my opinion is your opinion. So, so, well, no, I don't know that. Two Mishnayas. Amira Lenachri, the first one, the, uh, well, at the beginning, of course, we finished the conclu- the, the machlokas, the, the discussion about, um, um, Tvila Mitzvah, Tvila Bismana Mitzvah or not. We said, according to Abiyosi, it's not a mitzvah, according to Abiyosi, Babyuda, it is the opposite. According to Abiyosi, it is a mitzvah, according to Abiyosi, Babyuda, it's not a mitzvah. Fine. Now, Amira Lenachri. So, the Mishnah says that you would not be allowed to say to a non-Jew, Hey, can you put out this fire for me? That you cannot do. But at the same time, if he goes to extinguish the fire, you don't have to tell him to stop. Right? And Rabbi Ami said that if there's a fire, you can kind of say, look, anybody who puts out this fire will not lose. Uh, I think implying that, you know, you can make it kind of the implication, like if you put out this fire, you will get a reward. And that seems to be acceptable as well. If a child goes to extinguish a fire, so if he's just extinguishing his fire, on, his fire on his own, so there's no implication that that would necessarily be a problem. However, if he's extinguishing the fire because he understands that his father wants him to extinguish the fire, well then that is a problem because we have the responsibility to make sure that, um, you, you know, that, uh, that he's keeping Shabbos. You know, obviously he doesn't have to keep Shabbos to the extent that a, a, a Godel has to, but we can't just allow him to like put out a fire for us. That, I guess, out of chinuch, out of, uh, education. Next, we talked about killing dangerous things like snakes and scorpions. So the idea seems to be that, well, if it's chasing you to kill you, so then it's, uh, pikuach nefesh, and of course you can kill the snake or the scorpion. If it is not chasing you, well then, uh, there were those five examples that Rav Yosef taught that those would be mutar to kill, but, uh, it sounds like, um, otherwise you would not be. There was that interesting story um, about this teacher, not story, but anecdote about this teacher who taught in front of Rava Bar Rav Huna that, um, you know, it's not really a very Hasidic, wouldn't be the, uh, the, the, the way of the Hasidim to kill these things on Shabbos, which he says it wouldn't really be the way of the smart people to not kill them on Shabbos. Um, to which Rav Huna said an anecdote sort of where it would imply that you wouldn't be able to kill them. So it's definitely not clear that you would. Um, but we had all these discussions at the end that if it's just Lefit Tumo, that if while you're just walking, you know, there's a snake or a scorpion or something in your way, you can step on it and that would be okay. Friends, I hope you enjoyed Daf Kuf Chaf Aleph of Masech the Shabbos. Have a great, great, great day or night or whatever.